Well, good morning to you all. You know, I, I'm almost speechless after uh, seeing children dedicated, uh, hearing those testimonies, uh, what Pastor Rod had to say. Uh, I'm almost speechless, almost like, let's just go home. Uh, we've now experienced the presence of God, and I really believe He's on the move today. And uh, even I'm sitting in the front pew, and God's reminding what He's doing in my family. And uh, by the way, I have five grandchildren. Four of my five in the last two weeks have prayed to receive Christ. And I, I, I'm just overwhelmed. I, my oldest son texts me yesterday, says he's out in the wilderness talking to God. Uh, my, my other, some of my other children are in uh, helping with some recovery groups. Uh, my other daughter's talking about going to Mexico. I have another daughter and son leading a life group. And I just go... Boy, I, you know, and this is kind of embarrassing, but a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of discouraged, going like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm just so discouraged. I feel like my family is hurting. I feel like my church is hurting, and God is on the move. And I want to tell you a little more about that Whispering Ridge School story. Uh, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, there was a smell that was in our neighborhood, and I know it wasn't us at the church. Don't worry about that. Um, we, we actually don't know what the smell came from. Maybe a tank truck with his vents open. We're not sure. Uh, but it, it was kind of a weather system that made the smell hold in. And Whispering Ridge School, their, their heater sucked in the smell. They thought they had a gas leak. And, and about a week or two earlier, they'd phoned Pastor Rod and said, we're kind of looking around the neighborhood if there's an emergency place we could go. And Rod's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. They hadn't got too far on that. And then this gas smell shows up, and they phone our office and say, it's minus 20, and we have to get our kids out of the school. The buses aren't here yet. Can we come? And the answer was yes. And so I remember all the kids filling up the pews here. We played some videos for them on the screen. And uh, they, just, they just so loved. They wrote us a nice letter. and everything. I believe that was some of the groundwork a long time ago so that they saw that our love and willingness was there, that we loved them more than ourselves. And so when they had a crisis, who do they call? And it's not the Ghostbusters. I know you were thinking that. <laughs> they called Pastor Rod because they dealt with him before. And uh, it is such a blessing to bless others. And you hear Dan's testimony. I used to be possessive. I, I can further that and say, have you, has any, has he tried to give you something yet? The guy's just so generous. And I'm going, no, I could, or Angela, that she like had a potty mouth. No, you know, God is at work. God is at work. And today we're going to talk about sanctification. And, and I want to just right off the top, before I pray, say, God is at work in your heart too. And, and you might feel like you're in a little bit of a mediocre walk with God right now. You might be angry about it. You might be pointing fingers. You might be saying this spouse, this church, whatever it might be, this town, uh, I, I, you know, I, I just need something different, something better. But God's at work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity <laughs> to love a neighboring school. And uh, I, I can see that you're at work, God. And, and I know the parents aren't allowed to come in because of COVID, but I mean, these kids are going to go home. And I know there's going to be a lot of them say, 
hey, could we go to church? And, and right now with COVID, we're struggling with space as it is. And oh God, what a problem it'll be. Oh, what a good problem it'll be. As, as we have to figure out where to fit people that come. As we get more and more roses on the stage. As we see my heart, our hearts, healed and changed at soul care and set free and, and hearing God. And oh God, you are at work. As I hear stories from other churches in town too, you, God, are blessing the churches. You are, you are doing new things. Uh, people are getting saved. Uh, people are being filled and healed. Oh, God, you are at work. And we so, in our world, are so desperately in need of you. We need you more than ever. Uh, everything just seems to be getting turned upside down. Romans 1 is coming true where, where good is right and right is wrong. And oh God, oh God, would you come in power and start with us. Start right now in this service. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I want to start off with a quote now. Um, you guys always walk across, as I said last Sunday, our Alliance um, Fourfold Gospel. Uh, there's an emblem in the floor out there. And if you remember, there's a cross that's Jesus is our Savior. There's a thing that looks like a, a wine cup. It's actually a laver. And it's uh, Jesus Christ is my sanctifier. Now it has to do with uh, the temple and the oil that was there and uh, that they would pour out. And then there's a thing that looks like a juice jug. And that is Jesus my healer. And I might even have mixed up. I should look on the internet. You can correct me after the service. You can see. And the final one is the crown, Jesus Christ, my coming king. Now, it, it isn't as I said last Sunday that we in the Alliance feel that that's all there is about the church. We just feel the church has a habit of wandering away from that stuff. And I can tell you as a pastor, I have had a habit of wandering away from that stuff. I have had a habit and, and this is, and it's, I, I was sitting on the front pew thinking it through going, it's actually a sin. I get so caught up in doctrine and theology because I get so disappointed on what I see people living like and behaving like, and even my own life, that I start leaning into orthodoxy and I start leaning into rules and I start leaning into rituals. And, and maybe you're there in your Christianity. And I want to get, tell you that over a hundred years ago, Albert Benjamin Simpson from Nova Scotia, Canada, started pastoring in New York City as a Presbyterian pastor, and, and his world got turned upside down. Now, he started out, first of all, in Hamilton, Ontario, grew a church to over 900 people. In his testimony, in first service I read it, and I realized that was a real long testimony, so I'm not going to do it this service. But in his testimony, he actually says... I was operating completely in my own flesh. I had not learned about the Holy Spirit and about how the Holy Spirit in relationship, in power, in transformation, like testimony, I hadn't learned that yet. I hadn't learned humility. I hadn't learned that I need to annihilate myself in order for God to actually use me. I hadn't learned yet that Jesus is all sufficient. There's nothing I bring to the table. Jesus in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, he that's in me is my strength and my power. And so we're going to talk about that. So here's Tozer's quote to start us off. And the quote's title is, Victims or Victors? 
If Satan opposes the new convert, he opposes still more bitterly the Christian who is pressing on towards a higher life in Christ. The spirit-filled life is not as many suppose, a life of peace and quiet pleasure. It is likely to be something quite the opposite. Viewed one way, it is a pilgrimage. Through a robber-infested forest, viewed another, it is a grim warfare with the devil. Always. There is a struggle and sometimes there is a pitched battle with our own nature where the lines are so confused that it's all but impossible to locate the enemy or tell which impulses of the spirit and which of the flesh. There is complete victory for us if we will but take the way of the triumphant Christ, but that is not what we are considering now. My point here is that if we want to escape the struggle, we have to draw back and accept the currently accepted and accept the currently accepted low-key Christian life as the normal one. He's basically saying, don't do that. That is all Satan wants, low-keyed, mellow Christianity. That will ground our power, stunt our growth, and render us harmless to the kingdom of darkness. Compromise will take the pressure off. Satan will not bother a man who has quit fighting. But the cost of quitting will be a life of peaceful stagnation. We sons of eternity just cannot afford such a thing. So where are you at this morning in your Christian life. As I sat on the front pew, I said to the Lord, I have had all the tools in my tool belt for years. And I started, well, I think the Lord brought to my mind a couple of really good books I read. When I was 19 years old, I read a book called uh, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Anybody read that? Oh, two people put up, that's how old it is. I think it was written in the 1800s or 1700s or something. It was by Hannah Whittle Smith. And I remember, not a lot of the book, but I remember one of the things she argued was you need to abide, you need to be in a relationship with Jesus. You need to learn to hear God. You need to read the word with expectation about it, it coming alive. Not just doctrine and theology. Now, I can get into that trap so easily, but, but you need to read it as marching orders from Jesus. You need to read it as God convicting you so that you can be sanctified, set apart, and holy. Another book that came to my mind, and we'll see if anybody's read this one. Um, where did I write it? Um, Richard Foster, and the book is Celebration of Discipline. Anybody read that one? Nobody. Wow, that's an old book, too. Uh, I read it about mm, 38 years ago. And, and again, it, you know, I remember the book. He actually, it was a little bit kind of fluffy in some ways. But, but I can remember him trying to describe how you can enhance your relationship with God. He, he talked about going out in the field and laying down and looking up at the sky and, and trying to imagine this and that and the other thing. And, and I, I remember the book made a real impact on my life because I just so wanted to have a dynamic 
walk with God. And, and so I've had the tools in my tool belt. I, I, I've had the ability. I've had the knowledge. I, I knew. And, and yet, I want to be honest with you as a pastor that I so quickly moved into orthodoxy. You know, I knew everything about the faith. I could argue theology. I could bring up scripture verses. I could do all that kind of stuff. But, but honestly, in fact, Pastor Jim from years ago in the church, he and I used to love and love to just sit in an office and we would talk theology and argue back and forth. And it was, I mean, I just really, I can get into that. But the problem was my tool belt of sanctification or the filling of the Holy Spirit, which happened to me a long time ago, and I remember the professor at college in his office praying with me. He took me through a process of repentance, owning up to my sin that I'd kind of given into. And, and then he asked the Holy Spirit to fill. And I remember it was incredible. It was a changed life of mine. And so looking at this whole idea of sanctification, I, I'm hoping that I can so move you, so enlighten you, so let the Spirit of God into those dark places in your head that you're going to walk out of here going, I, I, I want that. I, I, I've had those two. I've understood that for years too. And I've kind of neglected it. And I'm going to make a difference this week. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in the spirit. <coughs> so to start this off, I thought, I originally had a couple of, I, I was going to look at Moses and his filling. And I was going to kind of end that thought with when, when God, Moses was overworked. And so the scripture says that God took a little bit of the spirit that was on Moses that helped him lead, that gave him strength and wisdom. And he put it on these 70 elders, 70 prophets. And I love the story because 68 showed up for this ceremony and two weren't there, but they still got the Holy Spirit too. And I love that story. And, and they were then able to help lead a nation. I don't know. Like, we have to get our minds in this. So, so we're going to look at King David just for a moment. And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 16. And I love 1 Samuel 16 as it retells the story of what happened. And, and Samuel the prophet was called by God to go anoint the next leader of Israel. And so he goes to King David, who is just a shepherd boy then, to his family and says, okay, I, I'm supposed to come here to anoint one of your sons. So they, they bring out son after son. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, but this one looks so good. Nope, nope. God judges the heart, not the outside. And, and they're like, well, this is all the sons. He goes, no, is there anybody? Else? Well, we got this young guy, the youngest, he's out tending sheep. He probably smells and he knows how to handle sheep, but there's no way he could lead a nation. And Samuel's like, nope, bring him in. So then we read the story, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 13. So David shows up right away. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And listen to this. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and then Samuel went to Ramah. Now, if you keep reading the next few verses, the text doesn't ever make this leap, okay? It doesn't say that, but I'm going to make the leap. Saul, the spirit is removed from him, right next few verses, and an evil spirit enters him. And I can tell you that Saul's leadership kind of went down from that point. Now, there's a lot about Saul at that point. He had a lot of pride. He had a lot of arrogance. He was starting to do a lot of sinful things. And he was not walking in the spirit. So I, I believe God looked down on, on him and his family and said, nope, it's going to be David now. 
And so David gets this leadership spirit, this leadership bit. And, and I want you to understand that when the New Testament comes along, this completely changes. It's not just one or two people here and there, you know, 70 guys speaking tongues for a little while. Nope, now everything changes. And we know the story that in John 14 and 15, I mean, it all talks about the vine and the branches. It talks about, I need to go away so the Holy Spirit comes. And then you get to Acts chapter 1 and the Holy Spirit comes. In fact, the disciples were told, don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until this leadership Holy Spirit, this, this presence, this power, this sanctification comes upon you. So they hang out and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And something incredible, they, they start going out in the streets right away proclaiming Jesus. I mean, their ministry begins right there and right then. And I just also want to say, was David perfect after he was filled with the Holy Spirit? How many sins come to your mind that David did after that? You know, you have to understand that when you get the Holy Spirit, when you read a book like Hannah Whittle Swiss, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life or Celebration of Discipline, um, you still have to exercise some discipline, some, I'm not talking legalism. I'm talking about abiding in Jesus. And you need to stop looking at others and you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I really spend time with the Lord? Do I take time in the morning somewhere, someplace? And do I, and I'm not talking about reading the Bible for theology. I'm talking about, do you, you know, this morning I'm sitting in my living room with my cup of coffee. I wasn't even really trying to do a time with the Lord at that moment. I was just trying to wake up. And all of a sudden God says, look outside. Isn't that incredible? I'm like, yeah. And, and then he, he starts saying, look how creative your wife is and in the house. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, isn't it incredible? And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You see, a relationship with the Father, an abiding time with Him. I mean, that kind of stuff just set my soul right for today. And I wasn't even really going there, but I am so open now to it. My life has been absolutely... So David wasn't perfect, but in the New Testament, we read of David that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? What? How could, I mean, he had a, an affair with Bathsheba. I, I mean, David did some other sinful bad things too. But here's the thing. And sometimes God had to get David's attention in real creative ways. But here's the thing. David always repented. He was humble enough to say, okay, I own that. I was wrong. And, and by the way, there was consequences with his affair with Bathsheba that haunted him for years. I mean, sin doesn't go without consequences a lot of times. Like sometimes you have to go to jail or whatever it might be. But... Uh, David was a man after God's own heart because why? Yeah, he, he sometimes operated in the flesh, and we do too. I read those books years ago, but doesn't mean that everything's perfect with Anthony. But David always listened to God. Sometimes it took him a little while, but he always did. And again, I ask you, looking in the mirror, how about you? Do you always listen to God? So I want to jump now to the New Testament. I want to look at Jesus himself. Now, we know theologically, here we go to the the orthodoxy, we know theologically Jesus was fully man and fully God. But we also know that there's something else that's interesting about Jesus. While he was here on earth, and we're going to look at Philippians 2 in a moment, we know that he emptied himself, and, and different translations use different words. So don't misunderstand, Jesus never stopped being God here on earth. But some way, somehow, he, he kind of set it aside. He didn't stop being God. It's like 
Did he ignore it? I, I, I don't think there's any theological words that can explain it. But, but we do know that he fully operated as a man. And, and there's a lot of good reasons why he did. Uh, he modeled human submission to God. And I think we needed to see that. And I think as you read the scriptures, you're going to see that over and over again. I don't do anything except for by the Father's will. And as he operated as a man fully here on this, his sacrifice needed to be fully man. And you'll find that in Hebrews 2.14. He wanted to relate to us. Hebrews 2.17 talks about that. That he knows exactly all the temptations and stuff we go through. But most importantly, when Jesus emptied himself... And he humbled himself, and he submitted himself unto the Father. He wanted to show us the Holy Spirit-led life. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And you remember the scene. Jesus goes in the water. John the Baptist is baptizing him. He comes up out of the water, and this dove comes down from heaven. It, 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 the scripture says it looks like a dove, and, and it lands on Jesus. Now, if you didn't know, that's the beginning of his ministry. Now he has the Holy Spirit. Just like he told the disciples, don't do anything, go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. It's at that point that Jesus begins his ministry. Luke 4.1 says, right after his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, if you didn't know, this is his grave. This is where Satan took him up to the temple. This is, you know, turned the, the rocks into bread, all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus basically said, nope, I'm going to submit myself to the authority of God. Yeah, I could do all that. My, my God nature, I could do all that. But no, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. <laughs> Jesus is showing us what the spirit life is. And, and when we hear about Jesus talking at all, he always talks only about doing what the Father wants. In John chapter 5, after, after healing on the Sabbath, religious leaders start persecuting Jesus. That's what the text says. And Jesus actually defends himself. John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, listen to this, really careful. My father is at, at his work to this very day, and I am working too. But he clarifies that. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So basically, they wanted to put Jesus into a theology and orthodoxy. And Jesus was all about the Spirit and God and ministry and others. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. This is a real big clue to us, an example to us. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Are you aware that Jesus says that you can have that kind of relationship with the Father? And it takes some practice and learning because our own flesh gets involved. Uh, Satan can whisper lies to us since you have to be in the Word, that doctrine and theology. Everything goes through the Word. But you can have a relationship with the Father and do unbelievable things. In fact, Jesus even, and this actually, the first time I heard it actually made me mad theologically. You're going to do greater things than Jesus. 
And of course, some people take it to the nth degree and they try to do the most crazy stuff and that kind of turned me away from them and turned me into this theology guy. No, you're going to do incredible things. You know, you're going to let your church be used <laughs> for a school that needs, whatever you think of the public school, they're going to be here. We're going to love them. You know what? This is going to go huge miles. When people are hurting <laughs> and they're in trouble, they're going to come to the church because they're going to see the church as a place where you can come get help. Like David, there is a real sense of intimacy. Like David, Jesus submits to the Father, not to repent, but to be led to perform miracles with the Holy Spirit's power. Again, Jesus was God, but also fully man. And Philippians 2, and I'm going to because of time, skip over a lot of that. But Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used of his own advantage. Oh, man, that flesh, that pride, I deserve, I get, I am so successful. You know, A.B. Simpson, as I said, we're going to talk about him in a little bit here. He understood he had to annihilate himself so that the Father can use him. Rather, Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Holy Spirit filling, friends. Sanctification, friends, is about obedience, submission, relationship, and kingdom building. Not our own kingdom building, God's kingdom. Not mediocrity, but on fire, spirit-led, day in, day out lives. And God wants to have that with you. He wants to do incredible things with you and through you. So jumping now, modern day times. Well, A.B. Simpson, 100 years ago. I came across an article, and it was called A.B. Simpson, and uh, it's by John Bertrone. And you can look that up. It's on, I think, our Ambrose website, or Ambrose University. And I, in the first service, I read for like 15 minutes, but you only get two minutes. In a series of sermons given at the Gospel Tabernacle, later published in 1897, under the title The Present Truth, he, A.B. Simpson, described the progress of the times as a devilish plot designed to get the supernatural out of the Bible, out of the church, out of individual Christian lives, and to reduce religion to human science, obliterating everything that cannot be explained on a rational principle and from natural causes. The article goes on to say that A.B. Simpson, in 1915, on the night of his 50th celebration of his ordination, the article says, in a crisis hour of his spiritual experience. Now, the whole three pages before this that I'm skipping over, uh, Simpson talks about all the successes he had before he was filled with the Spirit. He talks about the church in Hamilton. I think he was there nine years, the article says, and it grew to 900 people from 100 or 200. I mean, this is, this is a 22-year-old. So on his own, he was in good. But he says, he said, when I was filled with the Spirit, the next 40 years of ministry and what happened, he, he said, I look back on that and I'm ashamed. It's like filthy rags. And I need you guys to know that A.B. Simpson, yeah, that was something unbelievable. But when he moved to New York City and the Spirit began to lead him, he began to do the unthinkable, the cutting edge and the unbelievable. He began to love New York like no pastor had ever, he loved the immigrants like no pastor had ever done it. He opened up his church 
to the smelly, the stinky new people that had just arrived. And I'm not saying that new people that arrived, they're smelly or stinky, but in New York at that time it was. They were poor. And he opened up. In fact, he had a little bit of a clash with his church. Some would say his church was more concerned about being a country club than it was about being the church. And so A.B. Simpson, he describes his own coming to a full understanding of the filling of the Holy Spirit in a crisis hour of his spiritual experience, he's talking in third person, while asking counsel from an old experienced friend, he was shocked to receive this answer. Now he was, he was saying to his friend, how do I get the sanctified life? How do I get the filling of the Holy Spirit? How do I, how do I get this power? Here's what his friend said. All you need in order to bring you into the blessing that you are seeking and to make your life a power for God is to be annihilated. Now, maybe that language today is lost on us. In other words, it was less of Simpson, more of Jesus. So in our self-discovery world, we're, we're trying to, you know, we always want to tell, you're so good at that. You know, you're, you know, I wish that my language with my children had been more. What does God want? What is God training you and teaching you? What gifts is God giving you for his kingdom? Because we live in this era and this age where it's all about me. You know, I deserve, I want, I should get. Oh my, we need to be annihilated. And you're sitting there going, okay, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, Pastor. Because I was having an okay self-esteem. And you're destroying it. I'm, you're saying I'm, I'm not worth anything. No, honestly, Jesus wants to use you. And you need to fully come under his authority. You, see, you heard what Jesus did? He, in very nature, was God. And he humbled himself. And he came under the authority of God. He came under the filling and leading of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do anything unless the Father said to do it. This is joy, by the way. This is, this is fulfillment. This is, uh, what I'm trying to say to you is God has a purpose for you. He's got a path for you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you each moment of the day. Uh, you know, Jesus, or Paul said, pray without ceasing. Do you understand how to do that? I don't. I'm getting there. I'm starting to understand, like Angela said on the video, the, the kind of, a, you know, I used to get so angry and God would convict me and I'd repent. Now halfway through the anger, he convicts me. And now at the beginning of the anger, he's starting to enter in. This is annihilation of self. This is letting the Holy Spirit be in you in his power unbelievably. So let, let's now turn the tales. We, we've gone through a bit of the biblical journey, the alliance journey. Now let's talk about Anthony Balmer. I had all the tools in my belt. I'd read the books. But I'll be honest, I watched and observed some other people. And I also experienced myself some things that, you know, let's say I prayed for a healing of a lady who had cancer and she died. And I've told you my most funniest story. Funny, not really. A family asked me to pray for their mother who was in the hospital. So I went and laid hands on her. Oh, Jesus, be with her, heal her. Help her to recover. In Jesus' name, amen. And the woman went, <sighs> she stopped breathing. She was done. And I remember I, I was blinking, looking at the family, and the family are looking at me, and 
I mean, I, I didn't know what to say. I know now Jesus healed her because death no longer has a sting. And, and her mind, like she had Jacob Crusoe's disease. It's a brain-wasting disease. And, and there was like, unless other than an outright healing, there was nothing more. And so I'd had those moments. And so I, I really started leaning on the theology and doctrine and salvation and eternal life. And I, I had forgot about... <laughs> Celebration of discipline. I, I'd kind of forgot about the happy Christian life. And then along comes the alliance and they get into this whole, we got to get back to who we are. We need to get back to biblical Christianity. And I resisted, I'll be honest. I remember sitting at prayer retreat, arms folded, as they began to present. I think it was Holy Spirit weekend kind of stuff. Then Beaver Lodge had a Holy Spirit weekend. I went to it. Uh, for reasons I didn't get to do the whole weekend. Then I decided, okay, we'll host one. But in order to host one, I had to go to another. And so I went to Airdrie, a good friend who's in that church. And I went through their Holy Spirit weekend. Then we did one here. Then we did a second one here. Then we did soul care. So I'm sitting through theologically getting in knots a lot. But slowly the barriers are coming down. Slowly <laughs> I move from... And orthodoxy is good. We need to have proper thinking and theology. And I began to move into it. I began to get healed. I began to repent. I began to get annihilated. I began to see some life spring up in me again. And then we go to Southland to church renewal. And, and that was a dark time for the church then. By the way, we were in a bit of a decline attendance why There was infighting going on. And I was asking the question, God, should I leave the church and let somebody else lead you? I was asking the question. I was even starting to ask the elders. I'd been here. It had a good run. I think it was nine years or something. And then our giving was down. We were in a deficit. I think we were $200,000 deficit. And, and I said to the elders, this is going to seem bizarre, but I think we should all go with our wives, Pastor Rod, and we should all go to Steinbeck, Manitoba. And I don't know why. And weirdly enough, the, the elders are going, yeah, I th that, yeah, let's go. And I can tell you that I was Mr. Skeptic until Sunday night. I suddenly went, okay, there's something going on. I have not been abiding in Jesus. I, you know, I read my Bible every day. I pray. I had my list. But I wasn't abiding. I wasn't letting him lead me. And by Monday, I signed up for mentoring. 57 years old, pastor, been a pastor for years. I started getting mentored by a 30-year-old who's just an associate pastor at Southland. I was so mad. My arrogance, oh, you couldn't believe it. But it didn't take me a month or two. I fell in love with the guy. He only mentored me to December, and then he had to be retasked to some other stuff. I was so mad he was gone now because I was starting to <coughs> experience a walk with God I hadn't experienced in a long time. And you know what was weird? So I'm keeping in this journey, and I start hearing from people in the church, what's going on with you, pastor? Your preaching's changing. And I'm like, I'm still doing the same thing, and nothing's changed. I, you know, I have my introduction, I have my three points, I've got my conclusion with questions. Come on, what's going on? But you know what? What had happened, and I've told you this, I started to listen to God more in the week, like for a thing, you know, a Tozer quote to show up, or, or finding a Simpson story, or, or hearing something even in my own life where I've experienced God. And, and suddenly sermons began to go in directions that I'd always wish they could and wish they, they would, but they didn't. And so I want to get to the fifth and final point, and I'm way over time. People in first service, it was okay, it was a good sermon. Don't worry about it. I worry about it. We're a time-obsessed society. So fifth point, last point. We've moved from the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, 
to the starting of the Alliance, A.B. Simpson, to me, now I want to say, what about you? Where are you at? And, and I've actually titled this, Your Spirit-Filled Life. So to start off, what does the Holy Spirit do? And by the way, if you went to a set-free retreat, you would learn that the Holy Spirit gives us uh, birth into God's family. You can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit. He gives us access to the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, woe is me, my family, my whatever. All of a sudden, I'm praying for a grandson who's struggling with who is Jesus and, and his, his teacher somehow, some way, helps him to understand who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit helps us understand God's word. And I hope you always know that when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit's giving you understanding. Because I can tell you as a non-Christian trying to read the Bible, it made no sense. The Holy Spirit develops character in us. We're talking about God, like, we're talking about the character Dan and Angela talked about. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to minister. A.B. Simpson grew to church 900. A.B. Simpson, with the Holy Spirit abiding in Christ, started an entire movement. Missions movement that moved across all denominations. A Holy Spirit deeper life movement that uh, was already on the roll then, but it really began to move. And it was unbelievable. So here's the last thought. You had to know I had to go to Ephesians 5.18. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5.18. It's going to be really short. Don't worry. This passage, I love how it kind of throws the world there. You know, you can go to the world. You can, you, you can go over here to the world. You can take that course. I'm not saying courses are bad. We need to learn how to do stuff, drive, work on mechanics, whatever the course might be. Uh, we need to learn how to be a better human being, whatever. Yeah, we got all that. But, but do not get drunk on wine. Like, don't go to all the worldly stuff. Which leads to debauchery, especially we know that alcohol always takes a toll. And, and I don't drink, and, and I'm, I'm okay. Biblically, if you have a glass of wine, that's fine. But if you're using alcohol for courage, for strength, to, to get relief, you've crossed over this line, okay? Just saying. It will take a toll on you. Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we could get into the Greek, that be filled... It's actually one Greek word, and uh, in that Greek word, if, if I could, it really gets lost in translation, but in the Greek they have, just like we do, we have infixes, prefixes, and suffixes, you know, like ed at the end of a word to make it past tense, or, or re at the beginning to kind of change the meaning. So the Greek do that. Sometimes you can have a four-letter word that turns into a 16-letter word because they're really making it a sentence. So in this Greek word, be filled, it, here's the sense of it really, it's without getting into the details of it. It's like, right now, urgently, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Right now. And keep doing it every day. Like, don't stop. Keep at it. Uh, keep working there. So that's it. Be this, be you being filled. Get at it. Don't stop. There's so much more that I could explain. <laughs> And, and I just want to say that, again, this was so important to Jesus, like all the way from Moses, David, right through to Jesus giving the example. Uh, the apostles in John 14 and 15, they're, they're told, like, hang out, 
don't do anything until the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, we know the Holy Spirit comes. They start doing ministry in the streets and off they go. Jesus gets baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He starts doing ministry. Let me just tell you as a follower of Christ that God has a job for you and you need the filling of the Holy Spirit because he wants to do incredible things. He, he wants to appoint meetings like your neighbor comes over because their, their pilot light on their house is spewing out gas. Can we just come into your house and keep warm? And I remember all those kids coming at minus 30 and coming and sitting in the church. And here we are, <laughs> a year or two later, we're ministering to them even some more. God wants to have the Holy Spirit life in you. He wants you to recognize and to see things because I can tell you that in our flesh, it's like, mm, no, I, you know, you can't use my truck, you can't use my car because, well, it's too special. You know how much I've worked for that thing? Or, or well, you know, I don't know if you can come in the house. You kind of look a little dirty. Or, or, no, I don't have a room for you, sorry. Knock all you want, bang all you want. I don't care if you got some people that have come to visit you. No, I have no bread, I'm not getting out of bed. We need to have a Holy Spirit life. Uh, we need to have our language cleaned up. We need to have what we post on social media cleaned up. And, uh, and some of you, what do you mean? Am I social media? I don't know. I, I don't look hardly anymore because I get so frustrated when I see people. If you didn't know, I post stuff and the Holy Spirit will tell me. Like my wife, usually it's my wife, but the Holy Spirit speaks to her. Just like David had to get extenuating circumstance sometimes. My wife will go, I read what you put on Facebook do you think you maybe should take that down? I'm like, what? Well, that's nothing. I'm just trying to give my point of view. And she's going, just, just ask God and I'll be going. And like, I don't even question anymore. I just go in there and I delete it. It's like, and usually the clue is if, if it's starting to rile people up in the comment section, okay, that, that was a stupid thing I did. Delete. We, we just need to be led by the Spirit. We, God wants to give you power. He wants to change your language. He wants, you, you know what's happened to me over the years? In the last three years, I've been healed from so many things emotionally. It's starting to really make effect. And this last year has been really stressful for me, uh, leading a church through this time. And, and it, but it's really showing that God has actually done something in me. And, and you know, because when I get stressed, my wife gets stressed. And, but, but what's happening is I, is I abide in Christ. Uh, you know, I can say to her, you know, honey, I, I'm so sorry that I'm stressed. I give her a big hug. You know, and my wife's life is a lot better when Anthony's walking in the Spirit. And I want to tell you today that the Spirit's here for you too. And you maybe read books years ago. Maybe you were at a Bible camp and you were in a nice schedule of devotions with God. And you look back, you I remember I was at Camp Sagatau. We had morning devotions, and then we had to go off by ourselves. And uh, that was such an incredible time in my Christianity. And then I went back to high school, grade 12, and it was like, Bleh. I mean, I stopped reading my Bible. And then I was in a stressful part of my life. I was unemployed, so I had lots of time. So I started reading my Bible and praying and hearing God. Bleh, things went well. You know, has your life been a bit like that? I'm just saying to you, let's get some discipline. Let's, let's be sanctified. Let, and, and you understand the whole idea of sanctification. It's an Old Testament principle. that They would have a, an item, a laver, and, and they would go, okay, it's a common thing. It used to be used for collecting cow's milk. Well, we're going to spotlessly clean it. We're going to sanitize it. We're going to redeem it. We're going to pray for it. We're going to bless it under God's use. And then they would put it in the temple. It would only ever be used for holy things. What God wants today is for you to be sanctified and holy, set apart, to be used for holy things, and you can do it.
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can do it. You can be a changed, transformed person. We have soul care coming up. We have set free. We as a church, I've said it, we've laid water troughs everywhere. We want you to understand from the word what God wants to do. Rising above will help you. <laughs> they give, take a small fee. You can go to them and they'll pray with you. We want you to be alive and active. We don't want to be that church that's mediocre. You don't want the pastor that's mediocre, do you? God is on the move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to communion now and as the two elders come up to lead us, oh God, as we take these communion elements, as we take the bread and we swallow it and we take the juice and swallow it, let, let us feel every drop go into our bellies. Help us to understand the imagery that you are in us like that. Help us to understand as we drink of the, bread, drink of the juice and eat of the bread that, that you are in us. And, and Jesus said, if, if you eat of the bread and drink of this cup, oh God, let this be a time of, of real reflection in you. And, and help us to understand that only Jesus, that's all we need. We just need Jesus. We need to annihilate ourselves and only have Jesus. And so as we take this communion, let it be a, a moment of recommitment and a moment of revelation where we understand, again, we take those tools out of our tool belt, we're going to use them. We're going to be a church that's changed, a church that's being used in our community, a church that links arms with other Christians in the community and other churches, a church that links arms with even our neighborhood. Oh, God, use us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.